Chapter Six of And So They Were Married by Florence Moores Kingsley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Michelle Eaton. I am of the opinion, wrote the sapient Dr. Johnson, that marriages would in general be as happy and often more so if they were all made by the Lord Chancellor upon a due consideration of the circumstances and characters without the parties thereto having any choice in the matter that this radical matrimonial reform did not find favour in the eyes of his own or any succeeding generation brands it as visionary impracticable not to be seriously entertained in short by any one not a philosopher and not himself in love but could the benevolent shade of dr johnson be let into the details of a fashionable modern wedding it is safe to predict that he might recommend a new civic function to be administered either by the lord chancellor or by some equally responsible person, for the purpose of regulating by sumptuary law the bridal trousseau and the wedding presents. The renowned Georgian sage could not fail to recognise the relation which these two often unconsidered items bear to the welfare of the private citizen in particular, and to the weal of mankind in general. And who can deny that all legislation is, or should be, centred chiefly on these very ends? Such sober reflections as the above though perhaps forming an unavoidable background in the minds of several of the older persons present, did not cloud the rapturous happiness of Elizabeth Carroll North, as she paced slowly up the aisle of the Innisfield Presbyterian Church, on the arm of her father, the folds of her priest's gown, as Miss Tripp was careful to designate it, sweeping gracefully behind her, the bridesmaids in pale rose colour, and the maid of honour in white, the tiny flower-girls bearing baskets of roses, the ushers with their boutonnieres of orange buds, the waving palms and the sounding music each represented a separate Waterloo, fought and won by the Napoleonic Miss Tripp, who looked on, wan but self-satisfied, from a modest position in the audience. Never had there been such a wedding in Innisfield. Everybody said so in loud, buzzing whispers. Sadie Buckthorn, who was engaged to Milton Scrimger, informed her mamma that she should be married in church in October, and that her bridesmaids should wear yellow, and Bob Garrett, a clerk in a Boston department store, told his sweetheart that he guessed the wedding was about their speed, and added that he knew a swell floor-walker who would look simply great as best man. And as for the young couple, chiefly concerned, they might have walked on air instead of on the roses strewed in their path by the little flower-girls, and the hundreds of curious eyes fastened upon them, were as dim painted eyes upon a tapestried wall. They only saw each other, and the gate of that ancient Eden of the race opening before them. That same evening, after all was over, and when, as the village reporter phrased it with happy originality, the young couple had departed upon their wedding journey amid showers of rice and roses, Dr. North sought his tired wife, busy clearing away the tokens of the late festivities. "'Come, Lizzie,' he said kindly, we may as well get what rest we can. Tomorrow will be another day, and we've got to go jogging on about our middle-aged business as usual. Mrs. North looked up at him with tearful eyes. I can't seem to realise that Bessie's gone to stay, she said tremulously. I just caught myself thinking what I'd say to her when she came home, and what we'd... Richard North passed his arm about the wife of his youth. I hope he'll be good to her, he said, his voice shaken with feeling. I... I believe he's all right. If he isn't, I'll... He shrugged his broad shoulders impatiently. Oh, I'm not a bit worried about Sam, said Mrs. North. I know enough about men, 
But, oh, Dick, I'm going to miss my baby. He held her close for a minute, while she sobbed on his shoulder. Then the two went slowly up the stairs together, leaving the disordered rooms and the fading roses in the luminous dark of the June night. The Boston apartment to which young Samuel Brewster brought his bride in the early part of September was of Miss Evelyn Tripp's choosing. The engineer had demurred at its distance from his work, but Elizabeth had said she preferred to be near Evelyn, and Evelyn said that the location, if not strictly fashionable, was at least near the people they ought to know. The rent was $38 a month, and the rooms were small, inconvenient and old-fashioned. But, as Miss Tripp kindly pointed out, if one is obliged to choose between a small old-fashioned suite in a really good locality and a light airy one in the unfashionable suburbs of South Boston, one ought not to hesitate. Mrs North and Grandma Carroll had seen to putting the furnishings in place, and when the two arrived at the close of a hot afternoon, they found everything in the exquisite order with which Elizabeth had been happily familiar all her life. She ran from room to room, laughing and crying in the same breath. Oh, Sam, dear, do see. There is ice in the refrigerator, and a cunning little jar of cream, and a print of butter, and here is a roast chicken, and some of Grandma's rolls, and one of Mother's delicious lemon pies. How hard they must have worked. I'll put on one of those big aprons, and we'll have supper in no time. And Sam Brewster, as he watched his wife's pretty little figure moving lightly about her new kitchen, heaved a mighty sigh of content. It seems almost too good to be true, he murmured, and to think it is for always. It was not until they had eaten their first blissful meal together, and had washed the dishes also together, in the dark little kitchen, an operation in which the young engineer covered himself with glory in his masterly handling of the dish-towel, that Elizabeth discovered a large square envelope bearing the Van Duser crest and addressed to herself. She opened it in the circle of Sam's arms as the two reposed on their one small sofa in the room bearing the dignified title of Reception Hall. Why, what in the name of common sense is she giving us? was Sam Brewster's startled exclamation as his quick eye took in the contents of the sheet. I, I don't understand, gasped Elizabeth, growing hot and cold and faint. I can't think how it could have happened. Yet Mrs. Van Duser's words, though few, were sufficiently succinct. They were inspired, as she afterward confided to her rector, Dr. Gallatin, by the most altruistic sentiments of which the human heart is capable. Truth, Mrs. Van Duser had enunciated majestically, never finds itself at a loss, and in administering so just a rebuke to a young person, manifestly appointed to fill a humble station in life, I feel that I am in a measure assuming the prerogatives of providence. In this exalted role, Mrs. Van Duser had written to Elizabeth North, whose miserable shamed eyes avoided those of her husband after she had realised its contents. The letter enclosed a bill for $125 from Madame Leone Prise for the material, making and findings for one blue velvet reception gown. There was a pencilled note attached to the effect that as Madame Prise had been referred to Mrs. Van Duser, she begged to present the bill with the hope that it would be settled at an early date. Mrs. Van Duser's own majestic hand had added a brief communication, over which the young engineer scowled fiercely. He read, As Mrs. Brewster's personal expenses, either before or after her marriage, can have no possible interest for Mrs. Van Duser, Mrs. Van Duser begs to bring to Mrs. Brewster's attention the enclosed statement. 
Mrs. Van Duser wishes to inform Mrs. Brewster that she has taken the pains to send for the tradeswoman in question, and that she has elicited from her facts which seem to show an entire misapprehension of the commoner ethical requirements on the part of the person addressed. Mrs. Van Duser begs to add in the interests of society at large, and of the person in whom, as a distant relative, she has interested herself somewhat, that she distinctly frowns upon all extravagance. Mrs. Van Duser trusts that this communication, which she begs to assure Mrs. Brewster, is penned in a spirit of Christian charity, will effectually prevent further errors on the part of so young and inexperienced a person as Mrs. Brewster appears to be. Well, Samuel Brewster's blue eyes, grown unexpectedly keen and penetrating, rested questioningly upon his bride. "'Don't look at me like that, please, Sam,' faltered Elizabeth. "'I—I I didn't mean to buy that dress. Truly I didn't. I had paid for all the others, and I had twenty-seven dollars left. And Evelyn told me that Madame Priest had a, a remnant of blue velvet which she could make up for me for a song, and I let her do it. I thought she would send the bill to me, and I would—' "'Did she send it to you?' Ye "'Yes, twice. But Evelyn said for me not to worry.' She said Madame Prise's customers never paid her right away, and there was so much else just at the last. I didn't like to ask Daddy. Uncle Caleb always gives me fifty dollars for my birthday, and I thought— Elizabeth's voice had grown fainter, as she proceeded with her halting explanations. But she started up with a little cry. Oh, Sam, what are you going to do? For her husband was examining the bill with an expression about his mouth, which she had never seen there before. "'I don't see that you have been credited with the twenty-seven dollars,' he said quietly. Then, with a sorry attempt to smile, "'These mesdames appear to pile up the items sky-high when it comes to building a gown. Better have a cast-iron contract with them, I should say, and pay up when the job's finished.' Elizabeth's tear-stained face was hidden on her husband's shoulder. "'I—I I spent the twenty-seven dollars for—for gloves,' she confessed. "'Evelyn said I didn't have enough long ones.' "'Confound Evelyn!' said the young man strongly. Come, Betty, dear, you're not to let this thing bother you. It isn't worth it. I'll pay this bill tomorrow. It's lucky I've the money in the bank, and I'll write to Mrs. Van D too. He clenched his fist as though he would like to use something more powerful than his pen. But, Sam, you oughtn't to. I can't let you pay for... Well, I guess I can buy my wife a new dress if I want to, and that blue velvet's a stunner. You haven't worn it yet, have you, dear? But when you do, you'll look like a posy in it. Come, sweetheart, this was a tough proposition, I'll admit, but don't you let it bowl you over completely. And, Betty, you won't tell the trip lady about it, will you? I, er, uh, couldn't stand for that, you know. Elizabeth stole one look at the strong, kind face bent toward her. For the first time, though happily not for the last, she was realising the immense, the immeasurable comfort to be found in her husband's love. "'I'll never do such a thing again,' she quavered. "'I knew all the time I was being extravagant, but I didn't expect. "'I never supposed—' "'You couldn't very well have foreseen the Prezi's woman's astonishing business methods, "'nor Mrs. Van D's Christian forbearance.' "'His tone was bitter as he spoke the last words. "'But what I can't seem to understand is how that bill ever found its way to my esteemed sixteenth cousin.' "'Elizabeth's eyes overflowed again. "'I'm afraid it was Evelyn,' she stammered. "'She—' told Madame Prise that you were Miss Van Duse's nephew. Sam Brewster whistled, then he fell into a fit of reverie so prolonged that Elizabeth nestled uneasily in the strong circle of his arm. He was reviewing the events of the immediate past in the cold light of the present, and the result was not altogether complimentary to Miss Tripp. 
"'I say, little girl,' he said at length, looking down at the tear-stained face against his shoulder. "'I don't want to be disagreeable, but, er, uh, I can't for the life of me see why Miss Tripp should interest herself so intimately in our affairs. Don't you think you might, er, um, discourage her a bit?' Elizabeth sighed reminiscently. "'I wouldn't hurt Evelyn's feelings for the world,' she said. "'But I'll try.'" End of chapter 6 Recording by Michelle Eaton